Hi, and welcome to Literary Italy. <laughs> We're back. We're back. I'm I'm your host, Jim. With me is my other host, our other host, Anne. Hi, Anne. How are you doing? Hello. <laughs> welcome. It's amazing how you can play the guitar like that and how you can even make your guitar fade out like that's amazing. Yeah. So this is Literary Italy, where we talk about literature and Italy and the places where they intersect. Today, um, last week, or last time, we were talking about Dante, uh, probably the most famous Italian author. And uh, today we're going to talk about another famous Italian author, probably not as famous outside of Italy, but he is hugely important, not only for Italian literature, but also European literature. That's Giovanni Boccaccio. And um, today we're focusing on his most famous work, The Decameron. Um, Boccaccio was born in the early part of the 14th century, so he overlaps a tiny bit with Dante, not that they knew each other. And um, he was the illegitimate son of a banker from a small town called Certaldo, which is just southwest of Florence. And we don't know who his mother was, but um, his father recognized him and raised him, um, for which he was grateful, because in that time he his father did not have to do that. And um, he lived, spent most of his life in Florence, like Dante, um, but had a kind of a significant period of his young life in Naples when he went with his father who, and, and was trying to work as a banker. And it seems that Boccaccio was not a very good banker, but he was a very good storyteller. Hmm. And I think we can see that in, here in the Decameron. Right. So we started with the, the preface, the introduction, and the first story of the first day. That's right. So, um, you know, I, I know, Jim, that you have never read this mm-hmm. book before. So this is your first introduction to Boccaccio. And what do you think? I liked it. I, uh, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> my, my <laughs> do you want to read the other 99? Yes, I would like to read okay. the other 99. It's uh, fun. It's, it's, a, a, it's fun a fun read. read. And I think that, uh, especially coming off Dante. I mean, not that Dante is not fun. Dante is fun in his own way. But I think that what Boccaccio is doing here is something so radically different. And I really think it, it, it portrays this kind of anxiety of influence that if you're in Florence and you're coming right after someone has written the greatest poem of Italian literature and, and, and it really invents the Italian language, what do you do? You, you write prose. <laughs> you write short stories. And that's what, um, what Boccaccio has done here. Uh, we also chose it, uh, I think that, as I said, Boccaccio is not all that well-known outside of Italy, but you're certainly hearing, I've certainly heard a lot about Boccaccio this year in the Decameron hmm. um, because of... The plague. The plague. It's set during the plague of 1348. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a pandemic, which is kind of like what we are in now. Um, and it, it, this was a, the plague devastated, well, it devastated Europe, but it devastated Florence. About a third of the population died. And I think um, Boccaccio's description of that in the introduction is compelling. It's, now, would we call it a pandemic or an epidemic? Is it localized enough that you can call it? It comes from abroad. It does. <laughs> they're, they're called women in. That's no, so sexist. No, it, it, oh, you mean from because it, well, Got what's it. interesting is it has to be. Uh, think about this is this is sort of a new global economy, 
Mm-hmm. Um, for the you know, you have shipping coming from the east. You have um, things, tra- you know, people traveling long distances. Um, the rise of the merchant class. So, yeah, I I think I mean as far as the Boccaccio's world, it's it's pandemic. It's all over. Okay. I mean, it, it could be different different countries at different times. Clearly, but sure. Um, but anyway, so there's a there's a lot of disease. Yes. And it's not just set during a, the pandemic of 1348. He probably began writing around, you know, right after or, or around that time, um, compiling stories that perhaps he had heard himself or came up with on his own. Some of them little traditional, you know, there's a huge variety of the kinds of stories that are told in the Decameron. There are, there are love stories. There are um, broken heart stories, you know, love stories that end badly. There are lots of stories of tricksters, you know, that's a that's a common theme. Um, and the stories involve people from all sorts of all walks of life. You know, there's um peasants and there's noble nobility and um there's there are a lot of uh what's interesting too, there's a, a men and women. There's um that not just the narrators, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about the the ten youths who who are telling these stories, but that the characters in the stories these are they feature a lot of women. It's not exactly fifty fifty, but um, not only are there a lot of women featured as characters, they are very they're varied. They're women of um, some of them are good women, bad women, uh, intelligent women, stupid women. Um, you know, so there there's a real variety there as well. Um, the work was not incredibly well appreciated, I would say, until probably the 19th century, because it was kind of dismissed, because it was like, oh, these throwaway stories, and, and some of them are pretty scandalous, pretty racy. Um, and I, I think that people tended to instead appreciate some of Boccaccio's poetic writings. So what uh, happened in today's reading? What happened in today's what did we, Yeah, what did so we let's read? talk about so, What did we just read? Well, we start with the, the preface, where Boccaccio claims that he's writing this book for women in love. So again, women. Um, you know, whether this is a, a legitimate, genuine motive. He says that he himself once was in love, and he suffered a broken heart. And he remembers that a, a good friend kind of pulled him out of it with by talking to him with these tales, these stories. and And he appreciates that so much that he wants to to provide the same sort of distraction for women in love. And why do the women need this kind of distraction? Uh, it's because they, unlike men, they can't go out and hang out in the piazza. They can't go out for a walk. They can't go hunting. They can't, they can't go swimming. Um, they can't go play golf. <laughs> you know, they can't do these things that, that, that men could do. They were confined to the private, to the private sphere. So Boccaccio claims that he's writing this book for women in love. And in the introduction, so, I mean, it starts with that devastation, you know, that that tragedy of the broken heart. And in the introduction, we get another kind of tragedy. We need a distraction from the pandemic or the, the epidemic of, of the plague. So it, it begins, it, uh, it's set in the church of Santa Maria Novella in Florence, where several young youths, and Boccaccio doesn't, he says that he's not going to use their real names because he doesn't want them to um, suffer any kind of scandal because of the sorts of stories they told. And plus just the fact that here are 10 unmarried young men and women who are hanging out together in a villa for, for 10 days. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they, 
meet, first the, the young women meet and they're so depressed because they they talk about just the horrors they've seen, you know, family dying, friends dying. And um, the city is in a bad shape. As I said, about a third of the population of the city died in the the pandemic. And I think Boccaccio's description of it is is vivid. It's amazing. And he um, he also gets into the logistics of just how do you deal with that many bodies? You know, what do you do when when s- such a large percentage of the population is either sick or dying or dead? And uh, in addition to that, he talks about the way people uh, handled it. Okay, so um, he says some people were very took took the course of austerity. You know, they kind of closed off their houses. They ate in very measured ways. They drank, but maybe only a glass of wine. You know, and they were very austere. And they hoped to beat the plague by just being very um, cautious like that. Others threw caution to the wind. Um, ate whatever they wanted, drank as much as they wanted, had sex with whoever they wanted, and were kind of profligate and and kind of said, "What the heck? Eat, drink, and be merry." Um, and you know, there there was a kind of breakdown. I mean, at least Boccaccio describes the sort of breakdown of civilization in the city. And you have to understand that Florence was hugely important at this time um, as a major banking center, but also a major population center for the time. And so, because there's this this breakdown of society, I think. And and they, they sort of proposed to get out of the city, first of all, for a change of scenery, because they're just so tired of seeing the same four walls, but um, also to kind of establish a sort of counter society for temporary, you know, for two weeks or less than two weeks, that they're going to live in peace and harmony. And for these two weeks, we're going to try to forget the, the pandemic. We're going to forget uh, the, the plague. Um, so they decide that these seven women, three men, that they're going to go off together to a villa with their, with their maidservants and their serv- manservants. And um, on the first day, it's decided that, you know, there are 10 people, there are going to be 10 days, that for each day, one of the group, and they're called the brigada, one, you know, is going to be either the king or queen of the day. So the first, the queen of the day, Pompeia, she decides what they're going to do for the next 10 days. And she decides that for each day, they're each going to tell a story. So 10 people, 10 stories, 10 days, you get 100 stories. It sounds a little bit like the Divine Comedy in that you have 100 cantos in the Divine Comedy. You have 100 stories here in the Decameron. But as it's been said, if Dante's comedy is a divine comedy. Boccaccio's comedy is a human comedy. It's it's much more human. It's about real life people, even though some of these are kind of fantastic, almost fairy tale type stories. Um, there's a real variety in people and it's a, it's a real down to earth. And I think it's a fun read. I think it's a fairly easy read too, because it's broken up into short stories. Um. So shall we talk about the first story or do you want to just go into some travel ideas that would be related to Boccaccio? Um, yeah, uh, let's talk about the first story. Uh, the first story. Uh, uh, what I lo- Did you do the reading? I did the reading, <laughs> yeah. No, what I like about the first story is it reminds me of um, bad job interviews. Uh, <laughs> specifically... Uh, uh, if you've ever interviewed someone 
uh, if hopefully you're not the person looking for the job, but you're the person who's hiring or making a decision or helping make a decision. But and this is like this is a common thing where so, where one of those interview questions is usually something like, um, "What's your biggest weakness?" Right, right, right. And someone will will inevitably do something like. I'm really a workaholic. I just work too hard. And the, the reason that I, I think of that in this story is uh, there is a, uh, a, a very degenerate and profligate man. Who, so Chipparello. Chipparello, who is um, who's giving, who is trying to ingratiate himself so that he might avoid scandal upon his burial. He's dying, which is weirdly funny in this case yeah. for some reason yes yeah uh and uh so in order to make sure that he because he's uh he's rather notorious as a sinner he wants to make sure that the local friars uh accept him and and give him a christian burial so he goes to confession and basically does a humble brag the entire time uh you know it confesses Things that are absolutely not, you know, uh, not sins whatsoever, all the time lying through his teeth, and and in the end becomes acclaimed as uh, Saint Chaparello. Um, Chapaleto, even Chapa- even the name is changed. Chapaleto. Yeah, right. it it turns on its head all these hagiography, uh, hey, the stories of saints' lives. He he makes a saint of himself through an incredibly false confession, and his hosts, who are these two young men from Florence. Um, He's doing this really so that they don't suffer scandal. Right. Uh, so in some ways, I mean, maybe you could say he is at heart a good person, but he's there. I mean, he because he's willing to risk eternal damnation, damnation, right? To to um, right to to Just to save these, face for for his his host, his political contacts. But I think so. Right from the get go, I mean. Uh, Boccaccio grabs us with this story, which, as I said, it, it flips on its head. The the trope of the saint's life, who starts out maybe as profligate and then has a conversion and becomes a saint. I mean, he does become a saint, but his his turning is his own kind of canonization. I mean, his own sort of hagiography mm-hmm. that he just makes stuff up. You know, it. did you ever steal? Oh, yes, it was terrible. Someone one time gave me four cents too much, and I didn't realize. And, and I tried to track. I tried them to track her down, down for a and month. And then I gave it. To, and it took me so long to give it to the poor. Right, yeah. right. So it's funny. I mean, the other thing is, it's funny. Not every story in the the Decameron is funny, but um, a lot of them are. And um, you know, he starts right off the bat with this story, so it, it's. Uh, but it's a it's a it's a funny story about serious stuff. And 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 there's that weird mix of serious and and funny because yeah. it's because there's a I don't even necessarily mean about the the story itself but just it's it's set as a man is about to die yeah. which is yeah which, is, which is interesting too because the idea is these 100 tales are supposed to take you away from the plague and and take you away from mm-hmm. thinking about that and it does but it's about. <laughs> you know, yeah, I wasn't thinking about COVID at all while I was reading. No, it. I mean, the, or the plague for for the the storytellers. Right. Sure, um, it's interesting. It's a it's a it's a fun work. I think that sometimes people are reluctant to to declare it a classic just because it is so much fun. Hmm. I think it's fun. There. Hmm. So when we want to talk, we're talking a little. This is literary Italy, and we're talking also a little bit about travel. And how it relates to this work. So 
Boccaccio, like Dante, is is very much associated with Florence. As I said, he he spent most of his life living in Florence, and the the work also begins in Florence mm-hmm. and the Church of Santa Maria Novella, which is um, the Dominican. It's the Dominican Basilica in Florence, and um, it's located in the western part of the historic center. There's a train station right near it. Yes, which is also called Stazione Santa Maria Novella, and that's the main train station for Florence. You should know that because there are a couple of other train stations in Florence, so if you get off at one of the other ones, you're going to be in the outskirts like Campo di Marte. Mm -hmm. Which is where near where I used to live. <laughs> so if you live near there, that's fine. But if you want to get to the center of Florence, it's um, Stazione Santa Maria Novella. Um, it is an old church. I mean, there it's called Santa Maria Novella because it's the new Saint Mary's, and it was built on a foundation of a church that I think dates back to about the ninth ninth century. But the the building of this Santa Maria Novella was thirteenth century, so before Boccaccio by about a hundred years. And um, as I said, it was also, it was run by the Dominicans. There's a, there was is a Dominican monastery there as well. And um, so much, if you go there today, much of what's there is uh, developments that came after Boccaccio's time. But there are definitely foundations there that are from, that are from the 13th century that uh, Boccaccio would have known, would have been familiar with. So where do we think they went after oh. they they leave Santa Maria Novella, they don't specify. They don't hmm. actually say where, and it's it, there are lots of villas. You know, where the, would the traveler go? You know, you want to get. They want to get out of Florence. Now, if you've been to Florence, Florence is in a kind of valley. It's not really a valley, but but it's in it's low. It's low They're yeah. and surrounded by hills. So they go out to the hillside, and even today, I mean, this is what people would do in in those horrible hot. August days or July and August in Florence when it's so hot and humid and you can't you can't just escape it. You go out up to the hills and it's a little bit cooler there. So there's a little bit of that feeling like go go on up, get out of the the city center, out to the hills. And um, it is thought. I mean, one of the possible places would be north of the city, just north of the city, uh, possibly Fiesole, the the town um, north of Florence that is a town in its own right and has actually quite a, quite an interesting history of its own. You know, it's an old, it was originally a Roman settlement and Fiesa was eventually um, conquered by Florence. And so since that time, it's sort of like a little kid, an kid sister. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a beautiful place. First of all, you have a fantastic view of Florence. Mm, yes. And, um, it's also, as I said, it's it's countryside, but you're right there. I mean, you're right outside Florence. You can actually hop on the number seven bus from Piazza San Marco in Florence. And I guess it's probably 20, 30 minute bus ride up. The last time we went to Florence, we stayed in Fiesole. Yeah. So yeah. we actually stayed in a villa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it was actually a villa outside of Fiesole. And we told really ribald stories the entire probably, time. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. We, we all took turns. Um, so it, it's also, it, I think it could be a kind of budget, uh-huh. uh, a place to look for budget. Uh, and well, Fiesole itself is not an inexpensive town, but if you want to kind of experience a little bit of the countryside, but at the same time be, as I said, a bus ride into downtown Florence, um, Fiesole might be an option. Uh, it's got a couple good restaurants. It's got some good 
Oh, yeah. That great museum, some of the history, as I was saying, some of the Roman history there as well. Um, There's also Certaldo. So that's, as I said, that was... um, Maybe I didn't say. You did say the birthplace of... (laughs) Well, he probably was born in Florence, but it's the birthplace of of Boccaccio's father was from Hmm. Certaldo. And probably, we don't know who Boccaccio's mother was. She's probably either Florentine or from Certaldo. But Boccaccio also lived there. And it's a small town southwest of Florence. Uh, Again, it's one of these charming, uh, classic medieval hilltop towns, Mm -hmm. which there seem to be so many in Tuscany. And and that can also make a nice home base Mm. if you wanted to explore the the countryside around Florence and maybe do a day trip in Florence. So kind of reversing the the idea of spending a week in Florence and and doing a day trip out to the countryside. Do the opposite. And we have been in Certaldo. We have been in Certaldo. You probably... Don't yeah, remember. I do. There was a, I think we went there. I'm, I think we this passed is through. feeding you. This is a long time ago. Yeah. This is probably 25 years ago. Uh-huh. Um, I yeah. think it was a slow food fe- uh, festival. Uh-huh. I think there was, um, if I remember right, there were, uh, you know, lo- like a little market with different kinds of delicacies of the area. You know, the local honey, local pasta, local dishes. And uh, Certaldo is... Probably, possibly where Boccaccio was born, but it definitely was also where he died and where he's buried. So you can also visit um, his his tomb in Certaldo. And it's, you know, it, Certaldo could make a day trip from Florence. Fiesole can make a day trip from Florence. But as we were saying, it could also be, that could be your trip. And then you you go from there. You know, it depends on what you want. Do you want more of the city or do you want more of the countryside? And maybe you can kind of mix it up and do a little bit of both. We, um, you know, we were talking about Santomir Novella. I wanted to also mention the pharmacy. Please. Yes. Yes. The so, world's oldest pharmacy. Three Santomir Novella. There's the church, there's the train station, and there's the pharmacy. Yeah, the train station is, there's no great shakes there. You probably want to get in. Well, there are great that. shakes. There's some McDonald's in the train station. No, great do you shakes. remember? We, Fabulous we, shakes. We, yes, I do remember. We did one time we were, and I don't. I think it was on our way back with kids. and We were with kids, and they were little, and there was a bargain. A bargain was made that uh, we would— On the last day. I don't know if it was the last day, but that we would get the McDonald's, and we got it in the train station. And and there was much rejoicing. Yeah. Um, But there's also the Santa Maria Novella Pharmacy, which is credited with being the oldest pharmacy in the world and was founded 800 years ago, 1221. um, They make— and they they made and they still make today tonics, um, various perfumes, liqueurs. Uh, they were well known for rose water, which was thought to help keep the plague at bay. Mm. So maybe people want to stock up on some rose water right now. Mm. I don't think that actually works. It's though. um, it's beautiful. I mean, Good. you can go inside today. It's beautiful. I mean, even if you're not going to buy anything because it's very expensive. You could, um, you still can go in today, and it's just, it's, it's lovely. And they also have an online store too. If you don't, if you can't make it to Florence, so those are some possible, some ideas for for Boccaccio related travel to Italy. Um, for so, the next, yeah, for the what, next time. What are we doing uh, next? So, well, so let's sometimes people talk about the triumvirate of Italian literature: uh-huh. Dante, Boccaccio, and Petrarch. And it's a cliche, I know. But I, that's what we're starting out with, because I, I think it's there. We're, I also chose, you know, short selections. We, you know, we only had the first canto of the Divine Comedy and this first story of Boccaccio. So 
uh, I thought that we could do Petrarch next. So if, um, you know, Dante is kind of the father of the Italian language and he writes this epic poem, uh, Boccaccio is, writes these prose short stories, Petrarch writes the lyric, the sonnet. I mean, he's known for the Petrarchan sonnet. I remember one time I was teaching it and um, and I had a student ask me, was um, Petrarch, what did he say, was Petrarch the father of of the Petrarchan sonnet? And uh, I said, well, if he wasn't, then Mrs. Petrarch's got some explaining to do. And, you know, that joke just went right over his head. Yeah. About a minute later, he starts laughing. He goes, I finally got it. That's good. <laughs> so we're, I think we could just read the first, I mean, whatever poem you want to read. But let's start at least with, with the first poem of Petrarch's Canzoniere. So he has this collection of 365 poems. So now we have another interesting number, obviously, a poem for a day. Written for his lady love, Laura. I forgot to mention that that as Dante had Beatrice, Beatrice uh, Boccaccio has his fiammetta, his mm. little flame. We don't know, just like Beatrice, we don't know if this was a real person or or is kind of this idealized love. But he features fiammetta in many of his works, and she is also one of the the young, one of the noble women in this. In the Decameron is named fiammetta. Um, at any rate, Petrarch, his lady love is Laura, Laura. And so these poems are <clears throat> ostensibly written for for his Laura. So we'll, maybe we'll talk a little bit uh, next time. Petrarch, uh, he's also associated with Florence. So now we're getting a little bit boring, but we're going to go get out of Florence after after Petrarch, and we're going to start exploring a little bit more of the peninsula. But Petrarch was actually not born in Florence, so we can talk about some of the other towns around. Okay. And he lived all over, too. Great. Yeah. And we'll, um, next time we'll tell you, we'll remind you what we're reading at the beginning. Okay. <laughs> I thought we had done that. No, at the beginning. <laughs> we did this time. We'll do it next time, too. Okay. We'll just keep reminding you. Just and if you haven't, if you have not um, had a chance to pick up uh, Boccaccio's Decameron, by all means, too. It's, it's a good read. And it's also uh, something that you definitely don't need to be exhaustive with it. You do not need to read all 100 stories to get to enjoy it. Yep. And the, they're short. Well, yep. they, they vary, but it, it's one of those things you can pick up and yep. put down. Exactly. It's a distraction. Good yep. distraction right now when you can't get, get out of the house. Absolutely. Well, ciao tutti. Okay. 